Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to the book of Exodus. We're in uh, chapter 12 and we're going to talk about the redemption uh, of the Lord today. And uh, this time that we've been kind of going through in Exodus, the time we're really wanting to get to is finally here, freedom. And you'll notice as we read through this and as we've been looking at this, freedom didn't come because they made some kind of an uprising. Freedom didn't come necessarily because they wanted it. They'd wanted it for 400 years. But freedom came because of God. One of the things that I think we are losing uh, in our own nation is the idea that our rights do not come from government. Our rights come from God. Our founders in the Declaration wrote that we have we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Inalienable means you can't make them alien from any person. They are just there because men and women are created in the image of God and were given rights by God. And so uh, the government is to recognize and protect those rights. We're kind of losing that, aren't we? And in this you see that this freedom didn't come because Pharaoh granted the freedom. The freedom came because God demanded it and impressed it upon Pharaoh. And in this last plague, Pharaoh is finally going to submit to the authority of God and to the demand of God, which was from the beginning, the God of the Hebrews has said, let my people go, let them free, so that they may serve me. And Pharaoh is finally going to acknowledge that. But understand, the Israelis would still be slaves in Egypt today had not God intervened. And there's a picture in all of that and a wonderful picture of redemption. Let's start reading in uh, chapter 12 at verse 14. Okay, And this is the Lord speaking. So this day, this day of liberation, this day of Passover, shall be to you a memorial. Underscore that. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. It's not a one-time act. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. That's leaven is yeast. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel, banished. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation, in other words, a gathering. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall... Observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. And that's an interesting term, brought your armies out. God has bigger plans for them than just being a mob or a crowd. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance in the first month. On the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, 
since whoever eats that is leavened, and that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. What's the point here? He says that over and over, doesn't he? In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts which the, uh, with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Stay inside. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and for your sons forever. It will come to pass that when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, the promised land, Canaan, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away, and they did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. What a great story. And you notice how much emphasis is put on the fact unleavened, no yeast, no yeast. Well, that's because in the Bible, leaven or yeast is a picture of sin. And so the sinless, spotless lamb dies the innocent for the guilty, and the people have a feast that surrounds Passover, it's seven days long, of unleavened bread, where they have a time where they remember their sin and the perfection of God and the perfection that God demands. This is all a uh, picture, of course, of redemption, which is the first thing I want you to think about today as we think about the, uh, the, the a actual observance of all of this, I want you to think of the word picture. Now if, um, well, let me back up. In our house, we have a basket that has a bunch of photographs in it. There are loose photographs in there. And uh, uh, this past week, our uh, granddaughter Calvin, who's very little, she was in there and she likes to look at the pictures. And whenever she would see me, especially when I'd sit down in my chair, she would pick up one of those pictures and she would bring it to me. And sometimes she would stay to look at it. Sometimes she just brought it to me. I guess she was thinking I was so senile I would probably forget everybody if she didn't remind me through the pictures. Which brings me to my point. What good is a picture? If you were to take a, uh, a picture of John F. Kennedy... And you were to say, this is my grandpa, I would probably look at you and go, come on, you got to be kidding. Well, 
What's the big deal? A picture is not the real person, is it? Yeah, but it had better represent the real person, shouldn't it? If you try to take a picture of a, a, a beauty queen and you try to say, you know, hey, I found a picture of your grandma. Probably not. Probably not. Why? Because the picture has to represent the real thing. Now, this picture is a picture of redemption. It matters what they do. The picture has to be accurate in order to be meaningful. Does that make sense? It has to be accurate in order to be meaningful. And so as we look at this picture and see redemption, we see the slaves in Egypt. How could they redeem themselves? How could they buy their freedom? How could they get out of where they were and out of slavery? And the truth is they couldn't. That's a picture. That's a picture. And you find that Moses and Aaron come and they say, let my people go. And Pharaoh, who is kind of a picture of the devil, says, absolutely not. They're mine. They're mine. You find then that a holy God intervenes and through his sovereign will and his power, he begins to enforce some things upon Pharaoh that Pharaoh can't deal with. You know, uh, we've made this point several times that the uh, Egyptian sorcerers, that they could kind of duplicate to some degree some of the plagues, but actually all they did was make things worse. I was thinking the other day when the heat index, they said, was about 108 degrees. You know, that would be like me going outside and lighting my grill and saying to the sun, see, I can do that. I can create heat. And all I did, first of all, it was just a, a, a kind of a futile thing because my heat is nothing compared to what the sun puts out. And secondly, all it does is make it worse. I mean, who wants to be outside creating more fire and more heat when it is so stinking hot, right? And that's all they were doing. So the sorcerers were really showing their own powerlessness in the face of a holy God until they finally get to the point to where they say, this is the finger of God, we can't handle this anymore. And uh, that was their pronouncement. Because the power of God showing himself to be superior to anything that the Egyptians can do, well, this is the picture God wants us to see. He wants us to be able to live through our world and through our times of Maybe injustice or oppression or sadness or grief or anything that we go through. And remember that whatever this world tries to put upon us, it is small, it is tiny, it is temporary, and it is nothing compared to what God is able to do. And so we magnify the Lord as we walk through this earth just as they did. You notice here that they were told that they were to get a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and it had to be that. They couldn't come up with anything that they wanted. They couldn't come up with a substitute. I mean, can you imagine some Israeli saying, well, I wasn't really into the lamb thing, but uh, I, you know, I killed a pig or a rat or something like that. Surely that'll be just as good. This is just a picture after all. What does it matter? And you know how that would go because the picture, again, has to be accurate 
to the situation. Jesus is called the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And he was the unblemished lamb. And so this in Passover had to be a picture of redemption of what Jesus is going to do. They had to strike the blood on the doorposts and on the lentils. And not orange juice wouldn't do. Ketchup wouldn't do. Nothing would do except the blood of that unblemished lamb. And it had to be put in the right places as well. He specifically told them on the top and on the two sides. That's where it goes. And then you roast the lamb. You don't cook it any way you want to. You do it like God said because the picture is that the wrath of God and the power of God coming against that innocent lamb would be consumed by the fire and the entire lamb was to be cooked and to be consumed and whatever was not consumed was to be burned because whenever the sacrifice is made it has to be a total sacrifice and it's because of the blood of that innocent lamb the innocent dying in the place of the guilty that the death angel would pass over those houses you see the picture there and so God says I want this to be something firmly fixed in your mind because this is something you were going to do for generations and I want you to be picturing me and my power my sovereignty over Egypt and over death and over life and everything the God who gives you freedom the God who has not brought this last terrible plague upon you because of the blood of an innocent lamb and so there's a picture that is to be there and it is to be an accurate picture not just whatever they wanted to draw sometimes a little kid may come up to you and they've drawn something and it's good for whatever they do but it looks nothing like what they say it is and sometimes you may say oh that's a wonderful lion and they look at you and they go that's a tree oh yeah sorry that's a tree God does not say just draw me whatever you want and call it whatever you want he wants it to be accurate according to his word because he is setting up a picture here and he wants the picture to be an accurate represent, uh, representation of the reality of the situation so let's talk secondly um, it's called here that it is a memorial actually a perpetual memorial we might say the word memorial has the word memory in it. It means that we are to think about it and we are to remember what has happened sometimes in the past. Now, we uh, get concerned today because people are tearing down memorials to various people and various things. Uh, and I don't like that. But let's be honest, hardly anybody remembers them anyway. In fact, in almost every city, there's a memorial drive. Memorial to what? Most people have no idea. They drive on that street all the time and they don't have any idea. It may have been named back in World War I. It may have been named after World War II. It may be named after maybe a war like the Vietnam War or something like that. But most of us don't give it any real thought while we drive down it. Well, God says, I want this memorial to be something you actually remember. This is something that is to be a perpetual memorial. When you get to the promised land, this is what you do. And there were other things that would be put upon it. And so the Jews observed the Passover to this day. This is a memorial. I want you to remember and I want you to think. 
And there's so much today in Christianity where there's a lot of people seeking feelings and feelings come and go. They're nice, but they come and go. God wants us to be a thinking people, remembering the Lord, thinking about the Lord, thinking about our past, thinking about what he did for us, thinking about how he brought us out of slavery, out of death and into life. He wants us to think about these things, and he doesn't want us to think about them simply occasionally, but he wants us to think about it all the time. I mean, after all, this changed the Jewish calendar. This was a repeated tradition, and this is something where history and culture are passed on, and it strengthens them as a community and as a people of faith. Thirdly, notice here that it says, when the people heard this, that they bowed and they worshiped. And worship is always something that is God-centered. This is talking about God's judgment, but it's also talking about God's deliverance in this and the God-given freedom. And whenever we worship, there's a problem going on in Christianity today. There's so much to where we make it about us. Now, we always say it's not about us, but it really is about us. And if we're not pleased, and if we're not happy, and if things are not the right length, if things are not the right tone, if things are not the right setting, then we get all upset. But folks, listen, the idea is we are supposed to be loving Jesus and we are supposed to be focused upon Him, His glory, His grace, His power, His sacrifice, everything that He did. And if I come to worship God or claim to worship God, but it's me seeking a feeling, it's me seeking something uh, about myself and for myself, instead of putting my attention upon God, putting my attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, then it falls far short of worship. And even though this is going to greatly benefit the people of God, they're going to be spared the death of their firstborn, and they're going to be liberated from slavery. Yes, it does benefit us, but that wasn't the primary thing. They weren't sitting there saying, oh, this is going to be about us being free. This is about God showing his power, showing his authority, showing his sovereignty, and also showing his grace and showing his mercy toward the Israelis. Worship is a part of everything that we do. And then notice that the Bible says that they did according to all of the words that Moses and that Aaron had given them. This is not the time for them to substitute. This is not the time for them to do something else. This is the time for them to do exactly what the Lord had told them to do because obedience flows out of worship. And worship flows out of our memory, remembering God and what he has done. And that all comes because we understand the picture and we get this, uh, the, the uh, idea of God coming to earth and redeeming and liberating his people from the slave market of sin like he has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this obedience that uh, is kind of the bottom line. And notice that they had to get the right lamb. Not just any lamb would do. They had to kill it at the right time. Not just whenever they felt like it. They had to put the right blood. The blood of that unblemished lamb. And they had to put it in the right place. 
But that wouldn't do any good if they did it tomorrow, if they did it a week from now or whatever. They had to do it that night just as it was commanded. They had to use all of the land. They couldn't leave any of it behind. And they also were supposed to be ready to go. Here's how you dress. Here's the way that you are to stand while you eat. And you be ready to go at a moment's notice because when this plague hits... Everything is going to change and it's going to change rapidly and you've got to go when the time comes to go. Obedience flows out of all of this. And you know, sometimes we try to obey God in generalities and we sort of kind of obey. We're going to do it, but we don't do it the way God says and when God says. We do it the way we want to do it. We do it when it's comfortable for us. We do it when it pleases us. And that comes to church attendance, that comes to giving, that comes to the reading of the Word of God, that comes to personal morality, that comes to everything that we do. It all boils down to obeying the Lord. Be doers of the Word, the Bible says, and not just hearers only. And we are to take seriously what God has commanded and not just try to do it in a way that's a little bit easier, more convenient, less costly, or whatever. And that is what is killing us today. Day. And we wonder why our children are leaving the church. And then we look and realize that from God's perspective, we've been so casual about everything that comes to serving God. Why should they respect us? Why should they respect our God? And why should they respect the uh, worship of the Lord? Because they've seen in us, it doesn't really matter. This is a free-for-all. Do whatever you want. And I want to just ask you, what if... What if the children of Israel had said, Ah, that's great, Moses and Aaron, but uh, hey, we'll have hot dogs instead of a lamb. And, uh, you know, blood's kind of messy. We'll come up with something else. And, uh, yeah, well, we're kind of tired tonight. We're not going to eat it in haste. And we're not going to be ready to go. We'll go whenever we feel like going. We'll go when it's more convenient. Have you seen what David Payne said about the weather? It's not a good night to be taken off. And, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll get around to it. Just, just wait and just be patient because someday we're going to leave here. Well, you know, as well as I do, what would have happened? They would never be free. This is something to where they've got to get the picture and they've got to remember what God has said and what God has done. And they've got to do this as an act of worship because they love the Lord and because of who He is and magnifying His name. And then they have to obey. That's the only, the only thing left when you see God in His glory and in His power. The only thing left to do is to obey because God is not our servant. We are His. And God is not a beggar who is saying, I'll take anything that I can get. you got to he scraps for me he demands that we obey him and that we love him with everything that we are and that we keep his commandments Jesus said if you love me keep my commandments we don't look for loopholes we don't look for a way out we obey him because we understand that he alone has the words of eternal life he alone is the one who is in charge and that's what we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord he and he alone is worthy not only of our praise and worship and our adoration but worthy of our time and worthy of everything we possess he alone is worthy of the very best of our lives and so when we think about this story and think about what is happening here I want to just 
ask you to consider some things about yourselves. That uh, the Bible tells us that this is a picture. And so uh, they turn it into this idea of communicating something about God. Did you notice they said that when your children ask you, this is what you're supposed to say? Our children ought to be asking us about these things. And in the Jewish tradition, the youngest child at Passover says, What is the meaning of these things? And then the father explains Passover and what had happened and what was really going on. So all of this tells us about our story, our picture, the proper administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Why do we not mess with the idea of baptism and say, oh, it's just symbolic, sprinkle, pour, do whatever you want to do. No, it's by immersion. The death, going under the water is a burial, and coming out of the water is the resurrection of Christ. It's the gospel. Why do we not just take the Lord's Supper anytime we want, anywhere we want? Paul said it's when you gather that you take the Lord's Supper. And when you do it, why don't we use potato chips and Dr. Pepper? After all, it's just a symbol because we want the picture to be accurate. So we use the fruit of the vine representing the blood and we use the unleavened bread representing the body of Jesus Christ that is broken for us. When we think about the memorial, the remembrance of all of this, some things are done only once, like circumcision in the Old Testament. That was a one-time thing. But some things were done over and over and over. And we have those things that we are supposed to do. Regular church attendance. What are we doing every Sunday morning when we gather here? We are remembering the resurrection. Christ was raised on the first day of the week. And every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we need to be reminded of that because the world pounds us and pummels us to forget about Christ and forget about His supremacy. But we come here and we gather every Sunday morning as we do this morning to say, Jesus is Lord, He is alive, and we serve a risen Savior. That's where we are. And then we take the Lord's Supper and we do it according to what has been prescribed. Taking the cup representing the blood and taking the unleavened bread representing Christ. And we remember His sacrifice because we are too prone to forget and we are prone to make it all about us. It's got to be a memorial. And then our worship is not just attending church. Yes, we do worship when we come together, but oh, I hope this is not the only worship that you do. I hope all of your lives is a life of worship. I hope every moment you live is a moment of worship. I hope that every beat of your heart is a heartbeat of worship because there is a God. He is sovereignly in control. You are accountable to Him. You're an ambassador for Him. You have been redeemed by Him. You are sustained by Him. And you know what the good news is? Yes, we ought to be responsible as we live. I believe in a sovereign God, but I still put brakes on my car. I believe in a sovereign God, but I still put new tires on my car. And you do the same thing. It's not because I'm scared. It's because I'm responsible. And even as we deal with things like this virus, we don't do it because we're scared of the virus. The virus has no authority to kill you or to kill me. And by the way, we're never going to escape death anyway, are we? Yeah, that's not our goal. 
but we act responsibly, loving God and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. But we don't walk around in fear and panic over all of that because God's in control. And when I lay my fears and my anxieties aside, I am worshiping God, saying, God, I'll do whatever I need to do to be a good neighbor. But at the same time, I'm not afraid because my life is in your hands. And whether I live or whether I die, that's by your sovereign plan, not by anything else that might happen. And that's how we live in a time where there are wars and rumors of wars. That's how we live in a time where we're nervous about what's going to happen politically or economically. We live by faith in the Son of God, knowing that the Lord is my shepherd and he'll provide everything that I need and I follow him him and he knows where he's leading me and he knows what he's leading me through and he walks with me through all of those things that's a life of worship God is in control of my life and worthy of my praise no matter what and then I live a life of obedience and as I live a life of obedience that means that my heart what I say in here and my lifestyle are in harmony you want to know where you get anxiety, confusion, and all kinds of problems? You want to know why children and teenagers and college students are so confused? You know what it is? Probably because in the older generation, they didn't see harmony between the heart and the life. They saw them as two different things. And they saw mom and dad that, well, they'll come to church when it's easy. They'll come to church when they're not too tired. They'll come to church if the church meets at a time that they like. They'll come to church if it's not too long. They'll come to church if it's not too demanding. But during the work week, they'll cuss. They'll be unethical. They'll steal. They'll rob. They'll be angry. They'll be rebellious. They'll be immoral. All of those things. And when they don't see the heart and the life coming together, then they're confused. And they walk away from it looking for something else. But I want to tell you something else. It also brings turmoil in your own life. Some of you today are wondering, why can't I get rid of my anxiety? Why can't I have peace? It's because your heart and your life are not in harmony. They're conflicting. They're conflicting. And your mind is telling you one thing, and your heart is telling you another. Your heart is telling you, follow Christ, obey His word, put away sin, do these things that you know you ought to do, and don't do the things you know you ought not do. And you know what happens? Your mind says, no, I can get away with this. It'll be okay. I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to be anything like that. And your heart and your mind, your thoughts and your feelings begin to clash. But oh, folks, whenever your thoughts and your feelings come together in harmony, then you have peace in your soul. Because being obedient to Christ puts everything in the right order. And so I just want to ask you today, Livestream people, thank you for being here today, and God bless you. I know there are people in Minnesota that are watching us, and California that are watching us, and people in Oklahoma that are watching us. God bless you. I'm so glad you are. And I'm glad that you're here today. God bless you for coming today. And God bless you for the stand you take for Christ. But here's what I want to ask you is, in spite of everything else that's going on, 
Has the blood of an unblemished lamb been applied to your life? You know what I mean by that? Has the blood of Jesus been applied to your life? So what in the world do you mean by that? It means this. Have you recognized the fact that you're a sinner and under the penalty of death just like the Israelis were? Do you realize you're a slave to the devil and you can't do anything to free yourself? But to know that a holy God has intervened on your behalf so that you might be set free from the penalty of death, from the penalty of eternity in hell, that's what I really mean by that, and so that you can live a life of peace and joy and freedom as you go through this tumultuous world. Do you know how he did that? Just like in the book of Exodus, when that innocent lamb died on behalf of guilty sinners, there's an innocent lamb, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, who died on your behalf, took the wrath of God, paid the penalty for your sin, and paid for it in full, and rose from the dead three days later. And when you surrender to Him as Lord, you know what happens? You're free from the penalty of sin, and you're free from the fear of death. You're free and have peace in your life because the Lord becomes your shepherd. You know, Christianity is the only uh, religion in the world where the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I mean, he's both. He's the Lamb of God and he's the shepherd. It's an, amazed, an amazing thing. And the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's for time and eternity. And I'm not asking you to trust in your prayer. I'm not asking you to trust in how good you can be and how close you follow all of that because none of us are perfect, even as believers. Can I get an amen on that? But you know what? Here's the key. We look to a perfect God, and we look to a perfect sacrifice. We look to perfect promises. We look to a perfect covenant. God will keep his word, and when he said, I will save you if you will call upon me like that, he means it, and he'll keep his word. And he'll see you through. And he will carry you through. And the Lord will look upon your life. And he will see the blood on the doorpost of your heart. And he will accept you into his kingdom when you die. And he'll walk with you through this world until that time. Won't always be easy. But you'll have him. And you'll have his power. And with his power you have his presence and his promise. As you go through life. And to that we all say, Amen and Amen. If you haven't trusted Him, please do that today. And if there's any way that we can help you to understand that, that's why we're here and we'll be more than happy to do it. There's always an open door. So thank you for being here today. And I pray that today has been a time where you've kind of relived the picture of what has gone on. That you are remembering what Christ has done for you. That you have truly worshipped the Lord in spirit and truth. And that you are ready now to go out and obey His commands in the power of the Holy Spirit and for His glory. Can we pray together before we go? Heavenly Father, on this Lord's Day, we are coming now to say thank you for this picture of redemption all by grace and all through faith and not of us at all. It's all of you. And thanking you, Lord, that we know this and we can remember this. And on this Lord's Day, we remember that we serve a risen, sovereign Savior who is Lord of all. 
And Father, we want to worship you, not just at a certain time and a place and then forget about it, but that our lives might be a God-centered life every day, 24-7, in everything that we do. May we worship you and honor you. And Father, we pray that it would result in us being obedient and more obedient and more obedient and more obedient. And thank you for your patience. And thank you for your discipline. Thank you for your guidance. And thank you for your power. So we dismiss today saying to God be the glory. And may you bless us that we might be a blessing to you and other people. And thank you for our redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.